Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Turner again, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of Every Other Thursday. Every Other Thursday is the more or less 30-minute podcast where we show you new products, new interesting ideas, new concepts, etc., so you can elevate the guest dining experience at your establishment. Uh, these are ideas and concepts that Greg Kirish is bringing to us, and they are meant to be easy to implement and are meant to absolutely have a positive effect on the guest dining experience. And I've got Greg Kirsch with me today. And of course, we always have the lovely, the talented Jay Alley with us for our roundtable discussion and for more. So we're going to start. Greg, what do you got up for us for a new idea, new product this week? Pressurized growlers. Growlers. I love it. I love it. Tell me about growlers. Basically, a growler is a uh, is a liquid... Um, like Jay. Jay's a growler, right? Uh, hey there, matey. Uh, fill me uh, up with another pint or two. So a growler is a, uh, is a, is a, is a liquid container. And, um, you know, what's, what they've been – and it's been – I guess you could basically the, – the, the traditional uh, size and shape is a, for lack of a better term, a jug. And uh, it, what this would be used for is you'd go in and, and you'd fill up, fill it up with beer. And in many places now, you can um, you can bring that beer home from the yeah, ta- that, from that's the tap. Kind of what I thought growlers were all about was taking beer out and taking it home for consuming at home. But you're talking now about perhaps in the restaurant in a ta- tabletop setting, right? So what I, what I'm talking about is uh, is is is. Perhaps is it's kind of a broader sense of a of a vessel, a pressurized vessel that can take the place of the um, of the tap at the tabletop. So it would replace uh, uh, pitchers for and replace the need to go back and forth up to up to the uh, up to the bar. And what what it's about is. What we've what we're trying to talk about here every week is enhancing the 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 guest experience. So instead of having a, a pitcher of beer that's going flat at your table, getting uh, warm, uh, you're drinking with uh, friends. Uh, instead, you bring in one of one of these uh, uh, gro- pressurized growlers. They're pressurized with CO2. It keeps the beer fresh and fizzy and it keeps it uh it keeps it cold and it has a little tap so it's fun it's uh easy to understand it uh it keeps the beer moving from the bar uh it's it's simple it's good for the operator it's good for the guests i have a question greg i've, yeah. I've seen a bunch of these things being used at some different bars to take out the uh you know to basically get what appears to be products that maybe you can't get in a can or a bottle or whatever. So they fill the growler and, and you take it home. I have never seen one with a pressurized system. The ones I've always seen, they fill it up and they put a screw cap on it and you go out the door, which 
begs me to wonder how long does it stay fresh. So I've never seen a fresher one. So this is something that is new to me. What's the footprint, Greg, of, of one of these? Would a table have room for two of them or one of them? I mean, because I, I, how big are they actually? Well, they, they, they come in different sizes, and I've seen them 128 ounces. But uh, the ones I'm looking at and thinking about, it'd be about, about 64 ounces. And so, again, just taking the place of a pitcher. So this wouldn't uh, – uh, I know that there are laws and issues and and actually restrictions regarding growlers in um, in some states, but in in most states, I, I believe this would just uh, take the place of a, of a of a pitcher. It's um, it's uh, you know it's used for tabletop. In this case, it's not intended for uh, for bringing out of the establishment. Um, it, it, it would be brought to the table by a um, by a server. It'd be removed from the table by a server. Um, there's, it's, they're attractive. They're metal. You can get them customized. You can get you can get the you can get them imprinted. How much beer goes in a normal beer pitcher? Isn't it about fifty or sixty ounces? But I think the the growler sounds much cooler than just having a pitcher sitting there, huh? I think so too. It, it, you basically you have a tap. At your table, and and this is this is what happens. The one you know, ones I'm looking at and thinking about it, sixty four ounces. But again, I've seen them one hundred and twenty eight, um, and I'm sure that if you look around, you probably there's probably more options. Yeah, I think one of the downsides of it may be just the sheer size of it. If you have small, you know, high tops or something like that. But yeah, no, I, I think it's a cool idea though. Well, I just pulled up the growler that Greg's talking about. I've never even seen one of these before. This is a, it looks like a almost like a coffee machine. Now I see it, though. If it's pressure, I've never seen that before. The only ones I've ever seen are the glass or metal ones that they fill up at the, at the bar and take out. I, I mean, this one that you're talking about, Greg, is pretty interesting. What's the kind of investment uh, does an operator have to make to get a growler uh, program going? Well, I'm looking at one with a, with a, brass, top, with a brass spigot, uh, st- stainless steel, CO2, pressurized, Right, 150 bucks. Uh, to 130 bucks. 150. Wow, that seems like a lot of money to me. If because I've got, I can't just do one. I've got to have probably what a dozen, two dozen of those. Well, again, this is this is off the. Uh, this is um, from a website of a major manufacturer or one of the key manufacturers, and on the on the internet at at uh, at consumer prices. So I'm sure. 40 off that, but exactly. So yeah, yeah. Okay, I love the idea of it though because number one. It's cool and engages me. I love, I love that idea of it. And then secondly, uh, I love the idea that I don't have to go and wait for a barmaid or a waitress or a waiter or somebody in the staff to come over and ask me if I want another picture. I think it's a, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a great way for um, for establishments to sell um, sell more beer. I think it's a great way for uh, for guests to have a good time, and and it's a and it, it it creates and delivers a quality product. Now, you think, uh, have you checked around to most uh, food service distributors and dealers? Are they carrying growler programs or do I, where do I have to go to get these? So a beer, a beer specialty place? At this point, I've, I've seen these at, uh, in my research, I've, at, at trade shows. I've seen them exhibiting at trade shows. I'm not sure which distributors. I'm, I've been looking for them, carry them, but uh, just the simple um, uh, web search all of a sudden you can you can find you can find these companies 
that are serve that are providing for food service. Well, I like it. I like the idea, it, and I think it's a little bit like the bone marrow spoon from last week. It may not be for everybody, but for certain types of places, certain types of establishments, it's got to be killer. Got to be great, and and it really changes changes up the whole uh, the whole vibe. And also carrying on from the bone marrow spoons of last week, again, it's cre- you're creating a dialogue. You're bringing ideas, viable ideas to the operator to think about. These are not just things that, you know, cra- crazy ideas. These are sound ideas that you can develop a dialogue. So then all of a sudden the operator is looking to you now as a idea resource. Yeah, when you when you say that though, when they're looking to you, you're talking about the dealer salesperson, the salesperson who goes in to call, make that sales call. Exactly. You want to be seen as an expert, somebody that knows what's going on, that sees all the changes on the horizon and has solutions. Well, the, the, I mean, for now, uh, beer is still. <clears throat> I know craft beer is kind of plateauing slightly, and there's some uh, there's some adjustments being made in that craft beer sector. But boy, beer has exploded over the last three, four, five, ten years, and and it's just uh, as a lot of beer being drunk, and it's all local. And I love that idea of uh, bringing fresh beer uh, over and having that right on tap at my table. I think it's a winner. I think you're right. I think that I think there's a concern about the cost, and if you can make it uh, cost effective, if we can find uh, things to do in, in, I don't know about the cleaning of it and whatever, but I, I got to tell you, I like the I like the interaction that goes on with it. Even a guy like Jay, who's a, a pretty old school guy and uh, wants classic uh, traditional Stop stuff, picking on me. He's picking on me again. Listen, I'm looking at this thing. Not to, I mean, I want to jump in here for a second. This 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 stainless steel growler that you're talking about. Is it's sixty four ounces, right? Correct. So you talk sixty four ounces divided by twelve is five and a half glasses of beer. I don't think any restaurant's going. To, this thing is for home use. It'll keep beer fresh for two weeks. So this is a this is a really specific targeted deal. I mean, I think for guys who, and gals who buy this, I mean, when you can pay ten twelve dollars for a glass of beer, that's how I see this thing being used. And then you got the you got the glass ones that you just got a screw cap or a cork. And you see those being filled out and taken out. I mean, how long do you think that those last in a house? I mean, they probably last, if they last two days, it's probably a lot. I mean, you're talking about six glasses of beer here. So, the, the, Dave, you just made a great point on it. I mean, this thing's impressive, but can you imagine using that in a restaurant and then having to clean it? Because number one, you'd have to clean it after every single use. My guess. Well, here here's the deal. I'm going to put a a shout out to all my dealer salesperson friends I've got out there. If you have sold or you know anybody who's using growlers like we're talking about here on the tabletop and restaurant let us know we'd love to talk to you about it because we, these things look interesting but i'm i suspect like a lot of things in life i think they're great but there's always uh there's always a, a concern here or there and if there are if there isn't i think it, a lot of people will be doing it but I, I love the idea i have to say it gets the, the guests interacted with uh, the establishment in a different way than just drinking a beer and asking for another pitcher yeah i love it Good job, Greg. Do you think they can build a growler for martinis? <laughs> there you go. Hey, look at that. All you growler guys out there, let's start uh, working on the martini growler. I'm up for that. We're going to take a break here, and then we're going to come back with our roundtable. That's great job by Greg. and found another cool item, uh, the growler. Bone marrow spoons were first. Now we're into growlers. I love it. And then Jay's got a good, uh, a good segue for a future, uh, future uh, episode, martini growlers. <laughs> 
We'll be back after the break with our now getting to be world famous roundtable. We've got some great topics to talk to you about in this episode, so stay tuned. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journals connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. Okay, we're back now, and uh, we, now we want to start our roundtable discussion, and I have a couple of great topics today, and I want to talk to you guys both about it, and it is about restaurant reviews. And the reason I want to bring up restaurant reviews is this past week, it's hot off the presses, Peter Luger, the venerable steakhouse, the iconic steakhouse of New York City and perhaps all of America, got a zero-star review in the New York Times. Um, I don't know that I've ever known a restaurant, certainly of that level, to ever get a zero-star review. But anyway, they did, and they were torn apart. And that's not the end of the story. That's only the beginning, because the owners of Peter Luger responded. And you can read about it in certainly papers all across America, but now even in Europe. And I, I'm, I don't know whether it's the the bad re- the, the, the negativity of the review itself uh, against a restaurant like uh, Peter Luger, or it's the response that they gave. But my question is even a bigger one than that, and is that are restaurant reviews really that relevant anymore in this digital world? What do you guys think? Well, from my experience, and uh, and I don't know if this uh, bears out uh, how far how far and why this bears out, but a positive review can, I think, can make more uh, uh, of a difference than a single or negative review because i've seen restaurants starting out nobody's heard of them before especially in the early stages all of a sudden they get a review a positive review in a in a, in a major paper or, or a media or a, a online outlet or whatever and all of a sudden they're off to the races for example Whereas uh, negative reviews, especially for someone that's with an established brand, nobody wants it. And I'm sure it does some negative, but I don't think it does as much negative, especially for a a brand like uh, Peter Luger. Um, I'm sure they weren't happy with it and it might have some effect, but uh, they have such a strong brand. I'm not sure if it makes that much difference. You know, I kind of thought the same thing. Dave and I talked about it off air and uh, sounded almost to me like it was something that triggered this person who reviewed it. I'm sure he's a credible guy, but I mean, I you know, to have as much negative about that restaurant as was put in that review is it makes you wonder. But I mean, to Dave's question about a, a, a reviews relevant, I think that they are. I agree with Greg 100. percent well, I, I I agree. Excuse me, just for that. I agree. Online reviews are, but I wonder if newspaper reviews are. I think, I think, I think if, you know, I mean, I don't know how you measure that. I, I, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, today you can read a newspaper online. So the fact that they looked at it on a screen opposed to holding the paper in their hand, I mean, I don't even know how we can, we can measure it. I just think the review process is an important one. I think the thing that I, when I look for something that's being reviewed, if I see one bad review and I see 15 positives, I blow that one off as either a very bad experience by an employee who worked for the company or somebody grinding an ax. And that brings up another question, though. This is a this review was done by a professional restaurant critic, 
And the reviews that we see online are done by average Joes, you, just like you and me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's a valid point, Dave. But I, you know what? If 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 I listen to a review and it was Dave Turner doing a review or Greg or Jay Alley, I mean, I don't know, I don't know who this guy is from from left field. And I'm sure he's credible, but I, I don't know. And like I say, I, I when when we first started talking about this, I just found it amazing that that much could be wrong for a place of that reputation that charges the prices that they do. Yeah. The other, the other interesting thing earlier uh, um, in our other podcast, Seat Yourself, last week, we, we do a stat of the week <clears throat> every week, as you, you guys both know. And TripAdvisor, the website TripAdvisor, uh, did a survey and they said 94% of U.S. diners are influenced by online reviews when they decide where to go for a meal. And another 60% of those people said that the photos had a perceptible impact, I think was the words they used, on the customer's decision. So, so there. I mean, the 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 idea of Yelp, TripAdvisor, whoever you have, uh, uh, Open Table, they all have reviews, consumer reviews. But this was a very specific in a newspaper by a professional critic, and I just, I, I just wonder. I mean, I have to tell you, there's more people talking about Peter Luger in the past week than probably talked about him in the past year all over the world because of this one review. Exactly. But I, I'll tell you what, you want to know what? I would be shocked if that review didn't almost drive people to the restaurant to really see what yeah, it's how all bad about. Can it be? I kind of- <laughs> I, I, it's been a while since I've been at Peter Luger, but I don't remember being ever. A, a lot of the things that they said were true, the, uh, the, the surliness of the waiters and stuff like that. But you're right. My guess would be is they're just as packed tonight as they were two weeks ago. Maybe more. Maybe more. And as far you know, and, and I'll tell you what, I mean, the point that you just made about photos of food. I mean, I, you know, if it's a photo taken by a guest eating in a restaurant, I think it's got tremendous validity. If it's just an ad put out by the restaurant, you can take that and take it with a grain of salt because I've been on a, you know, I've shot some catalogs for, for the glass business where I've been involved from the start of setting up the programs. And that some of those same customers shot food. Let me tell you what, I mean, what they go through to make the food look awesome is scary. So if, if you take a picture of a strip cocktail and send it to me, I'm excited. If I just see something on a website of the restaurant, they put it up. Doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean it's bad or good, but I, you know, I wouldn't hold. I wouldn't put much credence into the, that photo. So, Mr. Kirish, you want to weigh in on uh, restaurant reviews? Well, from our for the discussion, I'm thinking. You know, the old adage: "There's no such thing as bad publicity if, as long as they spell your name right." But I don't. But I. Do, I don't think it's. I. I think it is, there is more to it than that. That again, um, uh, you don't want to see negative. Uh, I think I think uh, positive reviews have more effect than the negative ones. But and I know that people are, are looking at Yelp and the other um, uh, media platforms for for our ideas. But um, I think that you know when you know when you're talking about like the Peter Luger in this case, like you said, shoot, it might it might even have been have been a very it might have turned into a positive for 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 them. And this is just looking at the. The Peter Luger example. So, so the waiters and they're even bitchier now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, let me ask you a question to the group. I mean, did does anybody think that that maybe was a little bit? Is anybody skeptical of that review other than me? I don't. I don't know what the rest of his reviews are like, and I don't know if he's ever gone after people like that. If that's his his style, his modus operandi, or not. But Pete Wells's name has been around for a long time. I'm. I. I know the name. I don't follow his reviews, and, and frankly, had I not seen the headline, I'm like I'm probably like 98 percent of the other people who who uh, now know about this review. I wouldn't have, if 
if it hadn't been so bad, I wouldn't have known about it at all. And there'd been a response to it. I mean, um, European newspapers are, are writing about this story. So, so it's not a small story anymore. And I think that I think the owner operator's uh, comeback was not very. It wasn't the the best way he could have done that. You know, we, I think we've talked about that a little bit. I don't, uh, Greg. What I'm talking about is, I mean, you know, if, if someone wrote a review about a restaurant that all the three of us on that was that bad after having tens tens of years of nothing but positive stuff and people spending tons of money on our restaurant, somebody wrote a review like that. You'd, you'd have a lot to say. Matter of fact, I was telling Dave, I'd, I'd invite him back and treat him to a meal and say, just call us and let us know when you come. And if the restaurant's full, we're going to make a place for you because we don't need to know you're coming because we'll prove to you that, that a lot of what you said is not true, if not all of what you said. I mean, no meals, you know, you run a restaurant, you can't make 100%. Everything's 100%. It's impossible. So that's why I keep going back to it. Just, just smells funny to me that uh, it could be that bad. Very well could be right. Pete Wells is, is, is known for, you know, for uh, creating a, a controversy. He's the guy that went after uh, Guy Fieri's place when they opened it up in New York. Um, he, uh, and, and, so, and so, you know, I, I got to believe that he's, uh, you know, d- uh, doing, saying what he thinks and, the, and what he uh, is true and it, what he has experienced. Um, so, there's, you know, there's two, you know, the, but the question is, is that, Will that will that review hurt Peter Luger? Well, you know, also the way to look at it is, you know, if there's a grain of truth in what he's saying, hey, it's a great way for as a great wake up wake up for the uh, uh, for the operator to uh, to look at those things. Everybody can improve. I mean, I, I thought that you know, if, you, if there was a little contrition there saying, look, we're, we're not sure exactly why this review was written the way it was written, but we're going to take a look at every point that was mentioned in this thing, and because we believe our quality standards are pretty tightly controlled, and if we find anything that is a little outside the the parameters of our quality uh, opinions, we're going to fix it. But he didn't do that, so I thought I think the, I think the owners of the restaurant really missed an opportunity. Good point. Good point. But I don't think it's. I don't. Honestly, I don't think it's going to hurt him. Okay, well, I want to move on to two more topics because uh, before we uh, cut, you know, run out of time here this week, the next topic I want to talk about is get us on to, uh, Jay, you mentioned martinis earlier. I want to go, I want to find out what the next bourbon is in your opinion. Uh, bourbon has been red hot with uh, going just straight up, it seems like forever and still continues to go. And you've got premiumization of all spirits in general. So what's going to be the next bourbon? Is it gin? Is it tequila? Is it rums? Where do you see the spirits business going, you two? That's a tough question that you're asking because I was looking at this and I thought to myself, you want to know what? One thing we don't have on there, which is obviously almost to, to, to a boring degree, but I still think it's been affected dramatically is vodka. So I think gin, tequila, rum, bourbon, and vodka. I think I think gin, tequila, and rum are all three are, are on the rise. I think all at different levels because not everybody likes bourbon, not not everybody likes gin, you know that kind of a thing. But I think the craft cocktail thing is kicking everything upscale. All of these things, and listen, you know, it's the way I see it. The higher you price stuff, it seems to better itself. Yeah, I mean, if you're a tequila guy, you've got more choices than ever before. If you're a rum guy, and then if you're a gin guy, which I'm not, I mean, uh, I'm not allowed to drink it, but I mean, it's I'm seeing stuff on the on the rails on the back shelves, not on a rail, but of gin. It's it's like really that that many different gins all of a sudden. Years ago, when I first started getting into a bar, it was beef eater was it? That was the upscale gin, and there was a rail rail gin. So I don't know. Um, I, you know, I think that 
uh, guests are looking for more, they're more adventurous. They're looking for new flavors, new ideas, new pairings. So they're looking for uh, flavors, new, uh, you know, and ideas that come into the, into, you know, that, and so uh, whatever can deliver that. And so you have a lot of these, uh, for lack of a better term, ethnic drinks and, uh, and international, uh, international products. The Amaro's from Italy, for example, um, uh, Pastis from France, these things. Um, you know, I don't think they're ever going to be the volume of bourbon, but that whole category, I think, is going to be growing because they, they, add, because they add flavor, they add authenticity, they add adventure. You know what I love about bourbon? The bourbon, the bourbon people, they tell their story. Every one of those bourbons has a story behind every bottle. You go to a bar, everyone's got a story. Yep, scotch is the same way. Yeah, scotch the same way. Great, great call, great call, Jay. The thing that's interesting to me is all of the, all everything that everybody said here is true. But when you look at, I mean, if you combine bourbon, gin, tequila, and rum, do you think those all of those combined? The people drink as much of that as they do just simply vodka. I don't know. I, I mean, vodka has got to be like by far the leading alcoholic beverage drink, in my opinion. I mean, I'm a vodka guy, so I don't know. Well, we've got to. We'll have to. Uh, we'll have to do a little hands-on research on that whole category. I believe. I believe that's our next next assignment uh, on when we go on special assignment. I think we need to uh, dig into that. Well, to Greg's point, though, which is a great point, is my wife and I were out last night for just a quick bite. We went to. Uh, we went to Chili's, you know, nice place, clean, well-run, you know, it's good bar food. I mean, it's not a fine dining establishment. And they had a Hennessy-infused margarita. I never heard of such a thing. And, and, it, was, and it was priced for five bucks. So I, so I, was, I, I said, I'll, I want to try. Can I taste it if I don't like it? He said, yeah, try it. If you don't like it, I'll get you whatever else you want. He brought it. It was absolutely great. But a Hennessy-infused margarita. I mean, who would have thought? I mean, <laughs> It was it was outstanding. So if you're near one of those restaurants, give it a try. It was really, really good. More to come on this topic, no doubt. No doubt. I want to move on because we're going to run short on time here. I want to move on to hospitality tabletop. It's our favorite category of all time. We all know that. Uh, what's your your forecast for the coming year? We're almost, we got less than 60 days left in 2019. What do you think 2020 is going to bring to the hospitality tabletop category uh, I just got back from a show in Italy, and there's lots of the, lots of exhibitors over there. A lot of people that you know, your favorite your favorite companies, favorite brands, but also some you don't know. And uh, but I, I'm I'm more interested in sort of big picture stuff. What's going to happen to the, uh, uh, the hospitality tabletop uh, category overall? Do you guys think? There's a difference between fads and trends, and you know, and the and the and the trends they. They, you know, we're talking longer term, and and with and I see those trends continuing, which are you know sharing small plates, um, smaller portions. Uh, they're good for the um, uh, for margins for the establishment, but they're for the operator. They're fun for the um, for the uh, for the uh, guests. Uh, there's, there's variety. There's adventure. Um, and so I see, I see that whole thing continuing, which bodes well for the tabletop uh, suppliers. 
Yep, I, I agree with you. I, th I think also what's going to happen with the tabletop on the high end categories. I think the upscale folks are going to uh, they're going to look for more unique vessels for the smaller plate stuff. But I but I think they're they're at that level of fine dining. I think they're also going to still continue to reach out for how can I. Uh, without breaking the bank, improve the guest experience by upgrading my tabletop. And, you know, years ago, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's as predominant, but I remember when I was on the street selling stuff 20 years ago that uh, frette linens, for instance, was it was a really big category because everybody was upgrading their napkins and upgrading their tablecloths and that and that kind of stuff. So I think the, I think the high-end stuff, will they'll continue to, to, to put the best that they can afford to put on a table. I, I'm a little concerned about the mid-level stuff because if the economy tightens up a little bit, uh, that'll be probably one of the first places where they kind of tighten it down a little. So they, not, not that they would necessarily go in a, in a downward direction, but probably those folks would be less inclined to try to really improve it or spend more money on the top of the table. It's an interesting time, I think, because what you you both have said in different ways is that uh, the food trends, uh, the trends in foods and the way we eat is driving what's going to happen in the hospitality tabletop category. And whether it's uh, fast casual going downscale and more eating with your hands. So you're less, the less of a need for cutlery, um, whether it's uh, single service type products versus dinnerware, uh, whether it's melamine, uh, which has exploded obviously as a, as a product category. Um, and, and I believe that the most of the melamine business, the growth has come um, by up, upscaling fast casual people and giving them an alternative. But I, but I also think that there's bigger, uh, bigger things at play like uh, sustainability you know, uh, impacting disposables. I think the way people eat, uh, we, you know, six, six snacks a day versus three meals. So I, I think there's a lot of different change. I mean, there's a lot going on, uh, you know, where you eat now, are you eating grocery stores, you eating convenience stores, Con food service and convenience stores, for instance, has exploded. And, and so it's taking away a lot of that lunch business uh, or it, it's filling in gaps in the afternoon or whatever. But that, that's a huge, huge driver for those people. I mean, we, we, you, you always hear the jokes about gas station sushi. But can you imagine gas as gas stations selling sushi, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago even? And, and yet some of it's OK. Some of it's not bad. Plus beer and wine to go along with it. Well, and now and now and now gas stations in some parts of the country are get, getting are having seating, tabletop seating. On, on seat yourself, we were talking the other day about uh, <clears throat> about people like Nordstroms. You know, going to Nordstroms for dinner or for lunch uh, that was unheard of to go to a department store. Well, I wouldn't say unheard of, but but it was it wasn't it wasn't as norm, normal as you see now. Or going to uh, convenience stores or grocery stores for a meal, or going maybe even to a place like Top Golf, you know, the entertainment centers. There's three grocery store chains within just uh, two, three miles of my home that uh, basically are full service restaurants. Yeah, and when you when you think about a grocery store that's serving a meal or even a prepared food, uh, they're not using permanent dinnerware. So the, the all, and it's usually a carryout container of some sort, whether it's a, and, and, and I know styrofoam is going away, but there's other alternatives to styrofoam. They're more, they're more eco-friendly and, and all that. But the permanent dinnerware hospitality tabletop category is really under assault, I think. And I think the, the opportunities to sell that product, um, they're getting, uh, they're getting tighter and tighter. 
with more with more entry pe more people entering that that specific category too. All you got to do to see what can happen to the uh, gas station businesses go go over to Italy and then have have a meal in an auto house. You know what those are the ones that are over over the top of the uh, the Italian autobahn for lack of a better the, the autostrada. Strada. I mean, the first time I ever went in one of those, I worked for Luigi Bormiello. I couldn't believe it. So first of all, they can't be too concerned about drunk driving, but these are gourmet operations on the top of a, of a freeway system. Unbelievable. Well, I, I think uh, from from my perspective, and, and again, um, you know, I, I, I'm awfully close to it. So I, I probably, uh, sometimes you get too close to things, you don't see them clearly. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation. I think there's opportunities uh, <laughs> Um, to consolidate the sector, and I think uh, I think the the category overall, whether it be dinnerware, flatware, glassware, whatever, uh, under assault for sure. And uh, I think twenty twenty is going to be uh, sort of a a transitional year. Let's leave it at that. And and I think that that a lot has to do with the, just what we've just been talking about: where people eat, how they eat, and it's really following food and dining trends. Well, you're 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 100 right, and one thing we all know, right? That will never change. Tabletop matters. There you go. And so, and so, what this is all about is that we have to, you know, we're trying to help people think through what what is happening here, and then to create these dialogues. And that we're not saying we have all the answers, but you know, here's these tabletop suppliers creating those dialogues with the operators, and that's what uh, that's what builds those relationships and and helps sales. Yep, absolutely. I still believe too that uh, um, eating eating out, uh, dining away from home, I think is is because of also because of lifestyle uh, uh, issues is going to you know it, it's going to always be there. It, it's just going to change for a while. We're going into a phase where you know you're not sitting down for meals anymore. Everybody's uh, you know doing everything on the run, so you have six or eight snack periods throughout the day versus three you know three specific meals. And and you're eating them standing up oftentimes. People go into convenience stores now and getting uh, prepared foods or hot foods there, sandwiches, things like that. So I, I think the business is changing a lot. And I, for the foreseeable future, it's going to continue to go in those directions. Well, without a doubt, food service is going to grow at the expense of, uh, at the expense of, of retail. And um, so the whole question is how can operators – enhance that experience and one of the ways to do that is with tabletop yeah it's it's really about a dining experience if you're going to sell tabletop you've got to be you got to make sure i think that your your products are are viewed in that way and we just talked earlier about restaurant reviews and a lot of it has to do with the pictures uh, was it 60% of the people who uh, who are deciding uh, using restaurant reviews are deciding because of the pictures and so tabletop has a definite impact in those visuals uh, on any restaurant. And the best thing a, re a restaurant can do oftentimes is put up a, a great looking website with some killer images on it just to, to drive business. You got to have a great, uh, great website these days. So cool. All right. Listen, uh, it's been a great episode, guys. I appreciate it. I want to thank all our listeners for joining us uh, each and every other Thursday. Uh, we're here. We got our uh, Greg bringing us new products, new ideas as our opening segment. And then, of course, our, our Nat getting more and more famous each episode, our famous roundtable. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us on Every Other Thursday. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. 
For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.